Just go, 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 go. <laughs> Go, 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 go. Okay, like, I, I have a new witty line prepared and everything. So, uh, Brilliant. Three, you'll go on my first whistle. <laughs> Arty, you'll go on my second whistle. He's so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where did you want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the breaking zone. This show has already changed so many times in the pre-show that I've actually not got a witty line for this episode, so let's just go on with it. State of the show already. As you can attend on this show, we are a highly professional outfit and we just didn't completely hodgepodge the show together given the fact that King's PC died five minutes into our original taping. It was so, like Cristiano Ronaldo in the Euro 2016 final. Yep, yeah, like the, the story, the narrative was all there, ready to go, and then Gustavo, like, and then Dimitri Pio just, just completely just wrecks the man's knee and next thing you know, the whole thing's starting <laughs> over again. It was uh, quite funny because King was like, oh, well, my regular laptop's in to be fixed. Never mind, I've got one out of retirement for the show it'll work fine oh yeah five minutes in dead couldn't hear us that's it but <laughs> and we- then literally within 60 seconds we found a substitute and he's also american we- yes and we've made the biggest mistake of all bringing rj o'connell back oh, oh god <laughs> It's come to this. It has come to this. RJ O'Connell is back on the show after. Hi, y'all. Hi, y'all. <laughs> he is back. He is the emergency super sub, and God bless him. He came in at the 11th hour, and I owe him He's the clutch. so much right now. I will buy him. I'm going to be the best Roberto Moreno that this podcast has ever had. <laughs> State of I'm, the going show. To, I'm going to buy him all the Joseph Newgarden merch as a thank you if I ever end up in America at some point in my life. Which um, probably which, which, who knows, could very well be happening next year for all we know. But welcome back to Motorsport 101. In case you haven't noticed, RJO is back with us. And of course, we have Mr. Adam Johnson as well. Uh, so hello, say hello, Adam, again. <laughs> hello, Adam. Oh, you motherfucker! Uh, anyway, <laughs> like this—I think this is only the fourth time in the history of this podcast that Ryan King has not been on an episode. Like this does not happen very often. He's you know what happened? It's because it's because earlier before the show we were like, King, this is going to be your fiftieth episode. This ah. is this is an amazing day, and uh, it, it's not. <laughs> I jinxed him. I really did jinx him. I was teasing him before. It was like, like, like you, you have a Dell's like the Nokia thirty-two hundred of 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 of, of basically of recording equipment. <laughs> And he was like, yeah, anyone, who's, anyone who saw last week's episode of Robot Wars, what happened to Chompalot, where it just exploded into flames <laughs> in the middle of the ring? That's what happened to King's laptop five minutes in. Basically, yeah, in a nutshell, that's what happened. But uh, we managed to hodgepodge a show together. So, right, anyway, back to the show. And on this rather stacked, yet kind of under a time limit episode of Motorsport 101, because good lord, we've had more technical foul-ups than basically the Andrea Moda team did with their F1 days. We'll be talking a little bit about these Olympics uh, to close up the second week, and we'll be be talking about just how much better Usain Bolt is than everybody else in the world ever. And we'll be talking about IndyCar as basically Will Power took an enormous Grand Prix win at Pocono to you know, bring the championship right into play against Simon Pagano, and as well as Ryan hunter in Berserk, and the 2017 IndyCar schedule is now on tap, so we'll be taking a little bit of a look at that soon. 
Next up, we'll be looking at MotoGP as Cal Crutchlow won his first, well, well his, first, his first Grand Prix and the first British man to win a premier class race in MotoGP since 1981. So we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about the differences in tyres as basically it was really a tale of two races on a Bruneau track that didn't really want to play ball in terms of what, of, of what um, Michelin wanted to bring to the table. We'll be talking about Moto2 as Jonas Volga surprised everybody again by winning a Grand Prix because that's what Jonas Volga does these days. We'll be talking about how Johan Zarco struggled, Sam Lowe's back on the podium, and some of the injuries in the field as well. There's um, a couple of big ones, actually, that came through in the last 48 hours. One, not so bad. One, could be pretty bad. Well, depends on how you look at it, really. And we'll be talking about Moto3 as Keith Ewan reached the point of orgasm as John McPhee made, made it two British winners um, across the board as he took his first Moto3 victory in a rain-soaked Bruno as Brad Binder threw away his chance to probably cement and wrap up the MotoGP title, I should say, as uh, the rain god Kyrie Powie crashes, Navarro struggles, and all of that good stuff as well. We'll be talking about a little bit of Formula 1 as the Belgium Grand Prix takes place this weekend, as uh, more Halo tests come through, a little bit of uncertainty in the field where that's concerned, and inevitably, we've got to talk a little bit about Lewis Hamilton on this edition of the podcast, because apparently he is taking his engine penalty this time round. Ooh, drama. We'll be talking about that and actually the brand new F1 2016 video game itself as well because people have always been asking me about these things. So we'll be talking about that too. Huzzah. So, you know, all that good stuff and most likely a whole lot more on this edition of Motorsport 101. We're going to be very, very busy indeed. May the good Lord help us all. But we've got to talk about these Olympics. And um, RJ, this is your moment. You get to stunt because America did overall destroy everybody we did great again we did great again we won more gold medals and more medals than any other country this is uh and uh also we reached peak florida man at this year's summer olympics we did (laughs) peak florida man as blue-haired ryan lochte was basically destroyed a a garage bathroom and then was essentially held up at gunpoint and then he lied about the story to the media i mean RJ, what's the reaction been like in the States? Because I know in I, I, I watched last week tonight, this Monday, and John Oliver ripped him to pieces, and deservedly so. <laughs> um, I think that there was um, some pockets of sympathetic reaction from people who probably maybe didn't even know better that quickly uh, dissipated as more details came out of the, about the story. Locked has already lost several sponsorships just within the last week. It, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's bad. Mm. My response to that is, well, he's 32 years old. He's not going to another Olympics anyway, so I don't see what the massive deal is about him losing these sponsors. But hey, Ryan Lochte being a grown-ass man, lying to the media about being held up at gunpoint to garner sympathy. That's like like the most Ryan Lochte thing I've ever heard in my life. Now, talking about other things in the Olympics, uh, Johnson, how's the restraining order going? Hmm. Uh, well, I actually had a very nice phone call with uh, Mr. Kenny, uh, and we've, we've right. settled. He decided to drop the restraining order because he decided the threat of uh, punching me repeatedly in the face if I turned up within two miles of their house uh, was, was sufficient. Uh, I just said that's absolutely fine. I think my comments were slightly misconstrued. I think people oh, made oh, too, oh, much, word. too much of a fuss. I was merely re- adding appreciation of his wife. Johnson, we named an entire episode after your fanboyism. 
I predicted going into last week's episode that this was going to be my king on cling moment. Yes, yes. From episode 21, back from the British Grand Prix last year, where we dedicated the first five minutes to King talking about Megan Klingenberg and the US women's national team. <laughs> Which I don't think he's he would be very keen to talk about now, given they've just suspended their goalkeeper for a year. Six months, which is basically two games, because that's the amount of games that they're playing for the rest of the year. <laughs> that's it. Yes, they're only playing two. They're, like, they're, only, they're only playing like they're only playing two more games this calendar year. <laughs> so, like, like, what are we really talking about here? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that hope solves mentioned. I just kind of laughed at how like it seems really harsh, but it actually really isn't. Like, it's, yeah, when you read <laughs> deeper into it, it's just like, no, actually, she kind of deserved that. Actually, it was kind of overdue. Yeah, like she's, yeah. she's been kind of a bitch for quite a long time, and she may or may not have punched out her cousin. But that's that's neither here nor there. But um, talking about also, talking about more positive stories, Johnson. Yep. How cool is Usain Bolt? Oh my, ice cold, <laughs> ice cold. Oh my word! Like, how, are literally, the, how are the Olympics going to replace a guy like that? They are never, that's never. The there will never be funny. another Usain Bolt. Like this, it's quite like, funny because when Wade Van Niekerk won the 400 meters final and blew away Michael Johnson's gold re uh, world record, they tried interviewing after and say, "Well, Usain Bolt's retiring after the Olympics. Do you feel like stepping into his shoes?" And he was like the shyest, quietest guy I have. He was just like, like this, "This ain't happening. Uh, I don't really. I'm just a good runner, man. I'm not. Like, like, <laughs> I don't dance for the cameras." Like, it doesn't help that Wade Van Niekerk is literally the most polite man in the world. He's adorable, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> he, he's such a nice man in the sense of he's he, like, like, like he's, he's like, like he's, South African Jason Kenny. Yeah, he's 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 sickeningly modest about about the fact he just ran forty three zero three from lane eight <laughs> in an Olympic final. Even but, the man whose world record he broke was like, damn, that was good. He said, I said it last week. He said, he said, like Johnson literally said, oh my god, on the British broadcasting <laughs> when he found out his record. Oh, <laughs> it was man. the greatest thing ever. But you know, like Usain Bolt, we're never gonna have another guy like him I, i've said it before no. i think he is the greatest olympian of all time sod michael yep. phelps and his 117 gold medals you can get because in swimming you can do 117 different disciplines sod it <laughs> usain bolt is the greatest i love that they wheeled out a Safa powell out of retirement to, to, to take part in the relay i'm like oh powell's still here hey, oh, good. Still relevant. oh good like i made a funny joke about this the other day though but Safa powell held the world record in 100 meters for three years and it was the three years before bolt rocked rocked up and it's like <laughs> When Bolt got here, it was like Powell. Like everybody completely forgot about Safa Powell. <laughs> and it, it was and just like it was in, just in, like in, the photo where uh, Bolt is just sprinting to the finish line, just looking with that huge grin on his face, like "Bye." <laughs> it's the greatest sport, Yeah, Mo Farah also completed the double double. He is probably one of Britain's greatest Olympians, and he also completed what was Great Britain's probably best ever games. They finished second. We finished second overall. How we, did we, we do that? We, we legitimately beat China by one gold medal. Um, this is our finest moment right here. Like we're, not, we're like we're not topping this one, you guys. Like no, and I mean people thought we wouldn't top London because yeah. home games. You know, no one's ever improved their medal tally in the Olympics after a home games. Wow, that, that, that I didn't know. So Britain, cool. and what was stunning for me is that there were, of course, loads of people who retained their golds from 2012. You know, a lot of the cycling people did. Yeah. But there was obviously people who retired after 2012. There were people who weren't quite as good. I mean, Jessica Ennis-Hill has got married and has had a kid 
yeah. in the four years and to be back and still take a silver that's impressive rather but than that Belgian was just so fucking good though exactly yeah she, the people stepped up but British that British the Brits found new stars as well we won golds in disciplines we've never won gold before the hockey oh my goodness was it hockey. me or did everyone become hockey fans for one night yes we were all hockey fans they moved the news to put the women's hockey final on BBC One on prime time, and then Let's they put it this won way. the It's shootout. a sport where we won the final, we won a penalty shootout, and it was a sport where the Germans lost a penalty shootout in the semis. This, like, this is it, Johnson. Like, we are never topping this. We can finally end the Britain can't do shootouts argument. We have the hockey women. This is our hey, moment. <laughs> get a bit of Sam Allardyce, get those women in right now. Yes. He cannot be any worse than David Beckham's horrible penalty attempts when he was England captain. <laughs> <laughs> But oh yeah, and that's the reaction. That that reaction is appropriate. The shudder, the shudder. We beat like like it was like the Mighty Ducks two when the, when USA takes on Iceland the first time round going into that match. But we actually put three past the reigning world and Olympic champions. That was so cool. Um, what an amazing match. Mo Farah like, defended the boxing. Yeah, Mo Farah as well. You mentioned, you mentioned before, Mo Farah is, the, is, 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 is like Mo Farah is basically god at this point. Like, oh. like that man, please already. Like, Mohammed Farah, mate. I, I just love the fact that this is going to be a guy who has at every turn been so dignified, has been so great. He's yes. a representation of the modern Brit. You know, people have tried questioning, oh, were well, you were born in Somalia? Do you not feel enough? No, I'm British. I'm right yep. here. As Dre eloquently put it before we started recording, attempt number five of 260 million that we've had tonight. Pretty much. Um, he, he listens to grime music. He supports Arsenal. How much more British do you want him to be? I mean, this <laughs> exactly. is a guy who gets stopped in airports on security checks because of his name. Yes. People, oh, Mohammed Farah, well, step over here, sir. And he's like, uh, but guys, what about these gold medals? It, oh, 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 <laughs> oh, yeah, step, and, uh, come right through. <laughs> can I just say as well, what was a, a, an amazing moment? And I love when Brits suddenly become a little bit smug. Like, yes. Brits are very humble. We're used to being the underdogs. We're used to, it's not the winning, it's the taking part that counts. Although yep. I'm very pleased in the last 10 years of Olympics, we're like, bollocks to that. We ain't finishing behind Australia again. And no, we're taking no, we so can't have we're, this. <laughs> we're now finishing ahead of China and Russia, as well as a load of other teams and Australia. We've kind of taken that rivalry way too far. But, um, like, what was, a lo what was lovely is in the medal ceremony for Mo's second gold... They all did the pose with their medals, and he just reached into the pocket of his tracksuit bombs. And he was like, "Hang on a minute, hey, I've got another one." <laughs> Mo Farah just stunting on everybody. Yeah, the other two just looked at him and like, if this was any, if this was anyone else, we'd be saying you're a dick right now. But yes. it's Mo Farah, you can't. He's so stupidly and sickeningly modest, like most like British that. athletes are. You, yeah, you just like that amazing photo from London awesome. 2012 yeah. where he and Usain Bolt swapped celebrations. Yeah, that's just the greatest thing ever. But uh, RJ, before we go. We, we've asked everybody else this favorite Olympic crush. Who is who was it? Oh goodness! <laughs> um, so did, did, did you listen to last week's episode? Yes, I, I did. I, I heard I heard everything. Dwayne King nearly went to war. Goodness! <laughs> um, I was just sat in the corner of like, hey Laura, I like the fact you go you go fast on bank tracks. I'm actually going to take a pass on this question. <laughs> I, I haven't, I haven't properly figured this out. Like I haven't even watched that much of the Olympics. In all, in all honesty, I've still got a whole lot of catching up to do. I know that Bolt was really good. Britain just wrecked shit in cycling. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Snyder became the youngest uh, U.S. Olympic gold medal winner in wrestling. So oh, yeah, possibly cool. somebody, possibly somebody on the radar for mixed martial arts or pro wrestling. 
few mm-hmm. years down the road. We'll That's see. awesome. The new Kurt Angle. <laughs> I did hear that story, actually, as well. And I fact, he's going to make a sickening amount of money, even though he's still in college, and he's going to be able to keep it, which is like, whoa, amateurism. <laughs> Please don't let Kyle Snyder wrestle 20 years with a neck that's held together with like staples and bubble gum. That's all I ask. <laughs> don't emulate that part of Kurt Angle's career. No. Yeah, let's not let's not go that far. <laughs> uh, also, can we just say how I mean, we're all pretty sad that the Olympics are over now. I'm still excited for the Paralympics coming up next week. The last leg coming um, back with that too. That's going to be amazing. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Uh, but can I just say, in one fell swoop, we're all immediately excited for Tokyo 2020, simply oh. because, uh, you know, obviously in the closing ceremony, there's that whole handover segment. There's like the bit, and now for the next host of the Olympics to do their bit to show you how awesome or yeah. crap the next Olympics is going to be. Japan just went, I know, why don't we have our prime minister cosplay as Mario and appear in the arena out of one of the green pipes from Super Mario 1. Genius! <laughs> Super Mario Bros happened for real. And they actually had an animated thing where he like morphed into Mario, he then jumped in the pipe, and then he appeared in the arena, whipped off the cap and the dungarees, and you're like, that's amazing. That's a bit like if Sydney 2000 had opened with the Australian premiere turning up dressed as Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> Which I would have paid to have seen. I remember, when, remember when Crash Bandicoot was like Sony's mascot? And anyway. Yeah, exactly. It was the guy. Honestly, I look like Crash Bandicoot right now. I'm, I'm not wearing a shirt and I'm in jeans right now. It's that hot outside tonight. Like, that is basically me. I'm a fat Crash Bandicoot right now. Ladies. <laughs> I am single. I am single. Just, 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 for, just for the record. You know, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. Vortex. I'm going to be so happy when the Paralympics come up and Alex Zanardi wins all the gold medals in hand cycling. Oh, yes. you know what? I was there at Brands Hatch for one of his gold medals at the last Paralympics, and it was one of my favorite moments in the entire games. Like, me and my friend were there. We were obviously motorsport heads, so even though there were no Brits in the race he was in, we basically adopted Zanardi as one of our own, and yes. that was so cool when he won that last gold. If he's competing this time around, I'm there. He is. He is indeed. He's oh, going to be brilliant. chasing down more medals, and he still wants to do more motorsport. This guy's a machine. I love it. What him. a hero. God damn. Yeah. What's a hero Alex Zanardi is. And, um, yeah, looking forward to that. Right, now you've got to talk about some actual motorsport again. How sad and depressing. Oh, do we have to? Yeah, yeah, like, it's like that we'll talk about the Premier League again, and nobody wants that. Uh, <laughs> we're as well-oiled a ship as whole city FC, folks. <laughs> yeah, and we're playing them this weekend. That, that's going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> never mind, it could be worse. You could be three games into a League One season and still only have one point. It could basically be Leicester City. Um... <laughs> When you put it like that, suddenly I feel more positive about AFC Wimbledon's League One campaign. Hey! Positives and all that. But let's, let's talk some IndyCar, shall we? And uh, yes. we had... It, it was kind of a somber week in, in IndyCar, obviously, as, as, as the calendar rolled around to, to Pocono. Obviously, yesterday was a year to... As we record this, yesterday was a year to the day since um, the passing of Justin Wilson, which still remains very sad we missed the badass indeed very much so but um i'm very glad that indycar put on one hell of a show um to to make up for that this this time around it was it was a pretty crazy race from top to bottom but um in the end it was willpower that took the win rj and uh a very very important one indeed from out of nowhere we have a title fight again willpower comes through i, I really he was running up near the front 
And I didn't even think he'd been a factor with the win because of how well Mikhail Loach had been driving for like the first half of the race. Yeah, but here much. comes Power surging up to the front of the field. Simon Pagano has a shocker of a crash in the second half, and Power just holds off a lotion in the second half of the race in the final laps to win the race and close in within, I believe it's like 20 points in the championship now between yeah, 20 Pagano and Powers. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Yeah. Just like that, we have a top of a go. And Powell, like, Powell was fast, but at no point did, did you really think, oh, this guy can win the race. And then all of a sudden, his second half of the race is just superb. And he comes right through, takes the lead in. Michaela Lotion just had no answer for him. But still, a Lotion with a fantastic second place finish. Um, I, I, I think it was a real nice reward for the Russian after how unlucky he was in mid-Ohio to miss out on what seemed like an almost nailed-on podium after the after the final caution and maybe even a race win, given how fast the ocean was that weekend. And we, we all saw the interview at the end and how got, seemingly just devastated he was that he let that one slip. But uh, Johnson, a real a real nice blue-collar moment for one of the, for the guy that's having a fantastic second half of the season. <sighs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is... Uh, Alosha's one of those guys who's been kind of flitting in and out of the series. He obviously missed out on his ride last year. He's one of those guys who you just think he's got to have a breakthrough moment. Like, if someone like Carlos Huertas can get that one win on the board, <laughs> then surely it's got to happen one of these days for Alosha. And it, it says a lot about the guy that he... Uh, I mean, he's currently... He's 15th in points right now. Mm. For context, Juan Pablo Montoya is 13th. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Hunter Ray's 11th. Like, he's not that far off some of these guys. So, like, if he can start stringing those things together, it feels to me like he he, he almost needs a top-tier ride to step on and, and start to convert some of these performances around. Because, I mean, Schmidt-Peterson, they're strong rides. Um, he and Hinch are a pretty good team over there. They're a good combo. And Alotion, like, Alotion's a, a bit of a funny one. I think we all thought... Um, I wasn't sure about him going, was, going into this season. I wasn't sure he was, was going to no, be right. No, no, no. I, mean, I think we're all fairly certain that we, we, we know he's good on the, on the roadies. Was he much of an oval guy up until now? I think so. And I mean, it says a lot about his performance. He was disappointed with second. Not long yeah. ago, he would have been delighted with that. The fact he was disappointed, he was like, I know I could have won this one. And sometimes that sort of potential can really fire you on to great things. Like it can really get you moving in the right direction and give you a lot of confidence. In, indeed. Like, again, in the post-race interview of Robin Miller, he was sickeningly modest about, about the whole situation where he just... He just came out and he just said in the interview, look, you know what? He was just, like, Will was just faster than me. I, I, I There was nothing I could, like, it's not like he was pulling away. He was only ever within 0.7, really, the whole way through. And he just didn't quite have the answer to give Power a real fight for the win. And he was just like, you know what? It was a really good day. The team did a really good job, but I could have had him. <laughs> it was, it was, it just reeked of the, it, it just reeked of the we could have had him real moment there. Basically, could have, would have, should have. Could have, would have, should have. You know, I've made that catchphrase quite famous on Ask FM these days. But yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was a classic could have, would have, should have moment right there with a lotion. But I think looking back, I think I'll be very happy with that second oh, place. Um, a tremendous result where that's concerned. But. Um, RJ, as well, we've got to mention Simon Pagano and the key reason why we've got a title fight again here. Pagano coming off the pits and just bottled it straight into the wall. That doesn't happen. No. No. A very bizarre accident. Pagano's been ice cold this year. 
Yeah, like like Pagano has been like cold blooded this year, almost the entire season. He's even got started to get it together on ovals now as well. And next thing you know, apparently the tires had a lot of low pressure in him, and he just lost it, and he's in the wall. It was. A very bizarre accident, but um, it, it, it's obviously, in, in terms of the championship, cost him enormously now that Will Power has gotten the win to his credit. Um, it's now 20 points um, covering um, Power and uh, Pagano in the, in the championship of, I think, was it, I want to say three rounds to go? We have, we have the Texas continuation. Yep. We have Watkins Glen in place of Boston. And then we have the finale at Sonoma. So we effectively have three. We have two and a three quarters races left to run. Yep. Um, Texas will be kind of a wash. Uh, both these guys are good on road courses like Watkins Glen and Sonoma. Uh, it's it's going to be really fun. And remember, there's also double points involved at Sonoma because uh, because reasons. I because guess. thinking about it, I, I'm looking right now. New Garden is in third, exactly 100 points off Pagano. If he gets a couple of good results here, surely he's still in play in that final round. But, oh, he, but that's because he doesn't drive in Texas because he because he was already eliminated at the restart. Oh, of course, yeah, that's good. That's going to be the new gardens effectively down around now, just like more power was ironically. Well, I'm also <laughs> looking back. Uh, this could be a very similar scenario to last year, where there are actually six drivers going into the final round with a legit shot of the title. But we all knew it was basically Montoya versus Dis Dixon. Dixon's <laughs> down 111 points on uh, Pagano. Castroneves mm -hmm. is only two but further behind Dixon. Canaan's only a further four behind Castroneves, so... How is Canaan still up there? <laughs> How is Dixon still up there? How the hell does he always do this? <laughs> he's, he's a pest. This, he's is, this is why so many young talent have a hard time breaking into IndyCars, because all the old established guys are still really good. Like, they just don't get bad. They don't fall off, do they? Like Vin Diesel, he's shooting fast eight right now, and yet he's still managing to be top six in points in IndyCar. How does he do it? And next thing you know, all of a sudden, Ryan Hunter Ray has become like the second Andretti in the championship, and he's got more points than Alexander Rossi, who won the 500. <laughs> it's, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's 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 all like the IndyCar scoring system and league table can get a little bit crazy every once in a while. Where a little bit, you know, where breakout star of the year of 2015. Graham Rahal is now behind James Hinchcliffe. Carlos Munoz is still seventh overall in the standings. Canaan is only like 17 points out of a top three spot at like age 74. Can we also <laughs> point out some of the guys who are well down the order and it doesn't feel like it? Like Montoya or Bordeaux? 13th. Sebastian Bordeaux's 14th with one race win. Alotion Daly is down 18th. It doesn't feel like he's been running that badly this who year. Who has one point less than the guy we've all panned this year in Marco Andretti? Yeah, literally. Like, I mean, you can understand Hawksworth probably being the last of the regular starting guys. Polynesia's finest. <laughs> Max Chilton only one position. At, like, I mean, this has got to be testament to just how competitive IndyCar is. Like, yeah. it's remarkable who's up there, who isn't. As I say, Montoya, the reigning champion of the series, seemingly oh, hasn't no, been that no, bad. no, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Mistake. You, 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 you struck a chord on. You struck a chord on that one, Johnson. Yes. <laughs> Let me, me <laughs> runner-up in the series. Yep, 13th place overall and only nine points more than Sebastian. I'm probably more like Charlie Kimball now, Bourdais. 
<laughs> Can I just point out as well, Scott Dixon is likely going to be in contention for the title at the final round, and he'll probably take it. Yes, because, because he's Dixon Scott Dixon. <laughs> he's Peter Perfect. That's what he does. <laughs> but like, before we move on from IndyCar, we've got, we've got to talk about Ryan Hunter Ray. Um, oh yes, we have. My God. <laughs> like, so, let me get this right here, RJ. Yeah, like. The man started from the back of the field. Yes. Mm-hmm. At, at one point, I think he was running in the, in the top six. He mm-hmm. he lost a lap. Yes, he lost a lap because uh, he had just lost drive on his car uh, somewhere around the halfway point in the race and had to come in and get that fixed. It was fixed close to the three-quarters distance. It was yeah. around like lap 160 yeah. or so. So this sends him all the way back to the tail end of the field. I'm did, Adam, did he lose a lap? Yes. Yes. So he loses the lap. I, I watched the rerun today to get some notes for the show, and I was like, wait a minute. I knew he already came from the back at the start. He lost a lap with three quarters of the race to go as well. How? Yep. What? Comes back through the field, passes Joseph Newgarden on the penultimate lap, and finishes in third. And literally, had he had three more laps, he'd have probably in, been in contention for the win. Like, he, he was taking literal temps out of people per lap. I mean... Like, this was Captain America, the Pocono soldier, right there. Like, so right. N- nobody put Steve Rogers at the back of the field, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> it was almost like he was saying, well, hang on a minute, New Garden's the... Uh, is he the top? Yes, New Garden's, of course, the top American driver in the standings. Mm-hmm. You ain't taking my Captain America spot just yet, son. Even though he's half Canadian, but we'll ignore that. <laughs> we will just dismiss that. But, my God, Hunter Ray, what an incredible drive from him. I had expected him to do well as the defending Pocono champion. I didn't expect him to drive this magnificently. It, yes, he finished third, but he may have had the drive of the day, like hands, hands down. Still, still very good. And also Pocono proving to be another solid super speedway race for the Hondas, who somehow seemed to lack the outright speed on road courses, street courses. They were all wretched at Iowa on a short Mm -hmm. oval. But you come to the super speedways and all of a sudden Honda and Chevrolet look like they're on even footing. And in fact, I would put Honda a step ahead with the way that Eloshin and Ryan hunter Ray and Alexander Rossi was driving good until, until, until something very bad happened in oh, the pit Trey, lane. Oh, were you going to hope to scope over this? Um, I, I was hoping not to talk about this, but because it's just how crazy it was, but, but this, this was big. Um, in the pit lane, mm-hmm. a three-car incident involving Charlie Kimball, Alexander Rossi and Helio Castroneves, who, by the way, still has magnificent hair. Um, it's it was. He's like Xavier Woods from the New Day. Yeah, he's always smiling. All he's missing is a trombone before every race. Yeah, basically. But um, it, it's a weird incident where, like, Kimball, uh, he's coming out. Uh, Kimball's already come out of pit road or coming out towards the end of exit of pit road. Rossi comes out into Kimball's path. There's a there's contact between Rossi and Kimball. And then next thing you know, the whole, it's, almost the entirety of Rossi's car is driven on top of Helio Castroneves' cockpit. And one of those just real like, oh shit, kind of moments. To the um, point where wasn't there tire marks on Castroneves' yes. helmet? Oh, Castroneves had tire marks on his helmet and tire marks uh, all over the supports on his car. Um, and he just handled the whole thing like it was just, ah, you know, it was no big deal. 
Yeah. Because that's what Castro Nevis does. He's the Fonz. <laughs> like, I, I, hey, Helio, how you doing? I just got hit in the head by an entire car. I'll be fine. Hey. Who would say? I just don't. I just don't get how he was so calm about the whole thing. Like, like he like, was. He was calm and he was joking about it too, which is which just reinforces that like Elio Castro Nevis is a gift. He may go down as the greatest IndyCar driver that never won a series championship, but he is a gift of our generation. He's definitely the Mark Martin of IndyCar, and he has a ton more personality. A lot of love for Mark Martin, but man, Castro Neves is just, as I say, he is like the new day. Castro Neves is that dude. What? He is that dude. He just, he, he, he just shrugged the fuck it was no big deal. He was tweeting fans during the Grand Prix saying, yeah, yeah, don't worry, guys, I'm okay. Thanks for all the kind of words. He was tweeting all the fans on his Twitter like, yeah, I'm good, man, don't worry about it. Like... It's cool. Helio is the people's champion of IndyCar, which is which is crazy <laughs> to suggest given that IndyCar is so friggin' likable in the first place. Yeah. Yet, yet here it, we are. <laughs> but it, um, it does on that point. It does seem pretty surreal to me how IndyCar struggles to pull crowds at a lot of its races. It does decent, but it struggles to pull big, big crowds. And I'm like, how? You have possibly the most likable, entertaining, charismatic, and talented driver roster of any major series in the world right now. They Seriously, don't, they don't promote is their problem. Yeah, they don't promote like, enough, especially like, at oval races. Oval races are like the like the black hole because once you get outside of like Indianapolis and Iowa, the attendance for oval races just. I mean, look at Fontana last year, best race of the year by a mile. Nine thousand insanity. And there was like 12 people in the stands. Nine 9,000 fans in the 90,000 seat facility. That does not look good. Yeah, mm. it was an awful look. It was like Formula One in the Hockenheim in 2014, where, it, where the stadium was literally only half full on race day. And that was typical, was, that was the typical fair weather markets that Bernie just keeps trying to expand to. <laughs> yeah, and literally, like, that was... I mean, wasn't that the Grand Prix weekend where over at the Nürburgring, they had a truck racing festival headlined by the NASCAR Wheel and Euro Series, and it got double the attendance? It sold out. It got 110,000 people. <laughs> I just love the fact that Euro NASCAR beat Formula 1 2-1, to one effectively, that weekend. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, Nürburgring, if they put on an event and the tickets are cheap enough, it will sell out. It's as simple as mm. that. But in, It's the Nürburgring. But in Germany, they were charging, like, £400 just for race day. And... Which is ridiculous. What, about six hundred and fifty dollars. So you know, you're looking at that. And That's just, about four hundred pounds too, too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, and there was. But Johnson, remember the story? There was a famous promotion where, for every goal that Germany scored in this in the World Cup semi final, they would take ten bucks off the price. <laughs> oh, <laughs> about that. <laughs> Well, were you guys thinking seven? I, I, I sure as hell wasn't. Um, Seventy euros off the ticket price. Well, that's a that's like sixty more than we were expecting. Yeah, basically. But um, speaking of um, locations and attendance and whatnot, IndyCar also today, as we're recording this episode on the twenty fifth, unveiled the twenty seventeen schedule because this is what IndyCar does. They revealed their next year's calendar in August because why the hell not? Just out of nowhere with no promotion. Yeah, and that's the thing with IndyCar. They're too casual for their own good. They're just like, oh hey guys. They're they need, to do, they, need, they need to bring back their last year schedule video when Joseph Newgarden and Katie Hargett are just anchoring the whole damn thing and it's the most hilarious yes. thing in the world. Yes, yes, yes. I've said it time and again, if Daly and Hinchcliffe had been hired by Haas F1 this year, 
doesn't matter about the results. They would have instantly been the most popular team in Formula One by a mile, and it wouldn't even have been close. <laughs> it's not even close. Like, just get just 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 get new just get new gone to anchor everything. <laughs> but um, yeah, here is the full schedule, and I'll, I'll read this out as you know, as efficiently as I possibly can. But here's the 2017 IndyCar schedule. March 12th, the season will begin in the streets of St. Petersburg. Then, surprisingly, I think there's like a, a one month break, and um, before, before April 9th. Um, for the round two, which which is now Long Beach. Long Beach is now the second round on the calendar on April 9th. Two weeks later, April 23rd, we go, we're going back to Barber Motorsports Park in Alabama. You better uh, go to that race. It's going to be good. Oh, yeah. It's Trust Bob. me, at, the, at this point in time, me and Dre are looking at each other going, how many IndyCar races can we afford to go to as Brits next year? Do, King has already offered to drive us to Pocono and Watkins Glen, and I'm already considering it. You're like, like, do I look like Sarah Connors to you, Johnson? I'm not made of money. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I realized, I'm like, hang on, she's a freelancer. Wait, I've got to kickstart my freelance career. There's the motivation right there. Clearly, like we're, we're missing a trick here. But uh, yeah, Bob Motorsports Park on April 23rd. That's back to back the week after with Phoenix International Raceway. That's back on the calendar because who wants more short ovals? This guy, apparently. So that's April 29th at Phoenix International Raceway. Then two weeks later, the Grand Prix of Indianapolis on their road course. Indy 500 qualifying is on May 20th and 21st. Well, obviously, a week later, on May 28th, the 101st run-in of the Indianapolis 500. Clearly, the most important running the Dini 500 ever of all time for obvious reasons um <laughs> that's back to back because a week later we're going back to detroit for the duel in detroit june 3rd and 4th the double in detroit at belleau park uh that is again back to back again so we're gonna, we're gonna have four races in three weeks with june 10th at, at going back to texas um where scott dixon will most likely dominate and own our souls um two weeks after that we're, we're back at road america on june 25th um, two weeks later, Iowa on July 9th. That's a first part of a double header on July 16th with Toronto. Um, hopefully, they'll have a better pit lane by then. <laughs> two weeks after that, we'll have we'll be going back to Mid Ohio um, on, on July 30th. Then there is a three week break before going to Pocono on August 20th. August 26th, another double header. Uh, actually, it's three races in three weeks. Actually, we're going we're going to we're going back to Gateway Motorsports Park. Um, so that is a, a brand new addition to the calendar. Well, not so much brand new, more a return to the calendar of Gateway Motorsports Park. You get to dust off all the old Dario footage for that one, eh, Johnson? <laughs> hey, I think that's also working because we've lost Milwaukee. We need that sort of flat fast one-ish mile sort of track and yes. gateway fills the gap quite well yes it, it's flat it actually works for indie cars um it never really got a fair shake in my opinion plus it's it's in a part of the country where you know it's gonna draw people it's like it's like the closest thing you have to the twin ring motegi oval which is now a glorified parking lot after the <laughs> toko earthquakes basically just shut the oval down Oh, that is a shame, and I love that oval. That, uh, that's just is my fullness. Yeah, man. Can I also point out as well, one thing about the schedule that I'm impressed by, and it, it, they've made a real effort to do, uh, bar the gap between round one and two, they've really closed the gaps up. The intensity of the schedule is back, but it also isn't quite as outragely short. Like, we had it in 2014, where the season ended before September. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, it was like, wake me up before... September ends or indeed starts. Indeed. So, yeah, Gateway is back on August 26th. A week after that, on September 3rd, we're going back to Watkins Glens. And that's now a full time staple on the calendar beyond 2016, apparently. Yes. If, if, you listen, if you listen to the Mayor on Air podcast, they had Jay Fry on last week. 
and he explained that, that Watkins Glen was always going to come back in 2017, but because of what happened um, with Texas and the rescheduling and whatnot and, and, and all of that, they decided to basically accelerate the plan and basically pull Watkins Glen a year early. So we've got, we've got that race coming up very soon for IndyCar, and yep, they're back on the calendar full-time on September 3rd. And then two weeks after that, the double-point season finale, September 17th at Sonoma Raceway. So... I've I've seen a lot of people's opinions on this, and a lot of people that you know are you know properly IndyCar guys like uh, Tony Dezino and guys like that, and and they're they're very very high on this calendar. I quite like it. It's a very very nice blend, in my opinion, of 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 super speedways, of short ovals. You got your, your usual amount of road and street courses as well. I, I I like this calendar, Johnson. It's a little bit intense, but I think it's still pretty good. Yeah, but I I quite like the intensity of it. I like the fact that it has that like. Comp- but it's not too much so 17 like, race it, calendar by the way yeah so it's a 17 yeah, in, in about what just over six months or so which is pretty intense but I, I like i like the fact that it kind of focuses in and like the v8 supercars for example have had a big problem in the last years with huge gaps between their rounds like you'll go one month and then there'll be a race weekend and then you'll wait another month until the next one so I don't think IndyCar will have that problem. I love Gateway coming back. I really like the focus on bringing them back to the heartlands, like the classic open-wheel racing venues of America. Road America returning this year, of course. That was magnificent. Every series would race at Road America. I think we talked about this before, Dre. The the American Grand Prix should be at Road America. Come at me, Cota lovers. I like Cota, but seriously. Road America is the the MVP of American road racing. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few places where like uh, members of the media actually get free beer and pizza during race weekends. Bruh. Well, another, that's probably a big reason why the media want every series to go to Road America. Bruh. Free pizza and beer? I don't even drink and I'm included. Come on. <laughs> well, you were sold on the pizza bit. Yeah, like I'm a pizza whore for what it's worth. I am a whore for pizza, so yes, um, w- like I will literally drop pants for pizza. So yes, um, I, I completely agree with you on that. Where that's concerned, I, I like the calendar a lot. I, it's still very intense. I mean, so I remember again quoting the mayor on air. I really, really shouldn't be plugging Ravel podcast so hard, but yeah, who, but cares? It's Hinch. who cares? It's Hinchcliffe. Um, we had Scott Dixon back in the early days, and he talked about how. Last like, like like during last year's calendar, there was a stretch where there was eight races in ten weeks. Like that's yeah. how intense. And you know what? It's becoming a trend in motorsport. MotoGP has their entire second half of the calendar except for the final round. I think they got seven races in twelve weeks coming up, and I'm pretty sure that Formula One has got seven races in their next ten weeks as well. And there's only I think nine left on the F1 calendar from Belgium this weekend. So it's, it seems to be becoming a trend in motorsport where. You're going to have, you know, more tightly condensed flyaways. And I think that's more of an F1 thing in general because the series now has 21 races in it as opposed to the usual 18-19. But, uh, yeah, overall, I quite like this calendar. I, I, I like the direction of it. I like the focus. It's, a, it's I think it's a good blend of everything you've got there. And, you know, it's 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 intense. But I, I like the IndyCar out for that, stand out for that very reason. So, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that, definitely. <laughs> Very cool with that, indeed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Okie doke. So let's move on to MotoGP real quick. And <laughs> this is kind of awkward because I'm like the only one that watched all of this properly. <laughs> but um, they Thanks, are like, Spot, Thanks, Spot Sports. Thank yeah. you so much for dropping your coverage. 
Yeah, thank, thanks a lot, Fox. Thanks a bunch. MotoGP, we, we MotoGP returned after their three, actually not three weeks summer break because that was that was Austria. Ooh, what am I saying? <laughs> but um, we had a back-to-back -back weekend with a Grand Prix in Bruno, and it like it was looking like it was going to be a very intriguing weekend in, in the sun. Marquez had qualified on pole. But by the way, he tied the all-time MotoGP pole position record with his 63rd career pole position. How old is he, Dre? How old is he? Just just uh, as a refresher. 23. <sighs> he is 23, and he has finished on pole position on our. I get this in 44% of his career race weekends. So, in other words. You could take any weekend where Mar Marquez did a qualifying run and you'd have almost a coin flip chance he was on pole position. That's that's ridiculous. Almost one in two. Like, almost one in two. Basically, yeah, four out of ten. Four, like, basically, you know, four out of nine, basically. It's 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 unbelievable. They're, they're the kid just keeps breaking records. It's terrifying. He's got 63, 63 career pole positions, and he's still and he's like six years younger than Jorge Lorenzo. And Valentino Rossi, who's 37 years old, and those are the two. It's a three-way tie at the top now. All, all three of them have 63 career pole positions, which says a lot about Rossi's overall one-lap speed, given that he has like a ton more races than Lorenzo who has a ton more races than Marquez does. It's just kind of terrifying. But the rain came down on, on Saturday night. We came back, and it was a complete washout. Um, it's weird because the Moto3 and Moto2 races were total washouts, but the track was already drying because the rain had stopped after the Moto2 race, and you got like that with MotoGP you get that 40 minute spell between Moto2 finishing and then MotoGP coming around there's about a one hour break in between so TV networks can come in and um what's the right term I'm looking for here um fill time until uh, or preview the race build the hype yeah build, build the hype up before, before MotoGP actually takes off in the end um which is sometime around um what do you call it yeah 1pm British time but um Given the conditions, it was drying out, it wasn't raining, everyone just assumed it's going to be flag to flag, it's going to be flag to flag, and then we got to the race itself, and the track didn't really dry out, actually. Like, it dried out very slowly, which was surprising for Brunog. Um It's a very, very wide track in terms of surface area covered, um, so it takes a lot of time for it to dry, but everybody was kind of certain it was going to be a flag to flag race, and the track would dry out enough that, you know, we'd get your usual you know, bike changing extravaganza of, um, you know, bunny hopping across bikes in the pit lane and whatnot and the usual tactical element of it all. And races tend to be crazy that way. It didn't really happen this time. Um, instead, it became a battle of tire. It became a battle of tires when who chose the right tires. Now, for those that don't know in, in, in MotoGP now, with Michelin coming back, there's three different types of, of, of rain tire. There is the intermediate switch, I still maintain they're pretty much useless in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> um, and the wet tire, which actually has two different compounds. You get the wet tire and you so you get the wet hard tire and you get the wet soft tire. Most of the, of the front runners picked the soft tire, assuming that the track was going to dry out long enough for them to change bikes anyway. So they wouldn't have the negative connotations that come with picking with a soft tire in drying conditions. If anyone's ever played an F1 game and they've got their tire choices wrong, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here when you've overheated your tires because the track is drying out, you're on the wrong compound, and now you're starting to struggle. That's basically what was the entire second half of the race for anyone on soft tires. 
So yeah, that's what happened. And those that had chosen the hard tyres were the big winners in the long run. Hence, we saw Valentino Rossi shoot up the field in the second half. So we saw Loris Baz fly up the field in the second half of the race. And the winner, Cal friggin' Crutchlow, ladies and gentlemen. What? Cal Crutchlow, for the first time in 35 years, a British man has won a premier class MotoGP race. Not since Barry Sheen did it in 1981. And ironic that it's it's, it's the 35 of Cal Crutchlow that broke a 35-year curse, essentially. (laughs) Um, I'm sure there's a witty joke in there somewhere. I'll let you guys figure that one out. But... um, Johnson, uh, a landmark moment for MotoGP and just another ridiculous, crazy outcome. <laughs> We've been having them so far this year, haven't we? This has been uh, three uh, new, after- three new winners in the in the last four rounds. We were talking about this not long ago, actually, off yeah. air. We were saying about how in the last few years, if your name's not Lorenzo Rossi or Marquez, you've basically not won a race in the last few years. Not since Casey Stoner. Um, was one of the last new guys but now we've got the ducatis finally breaking through getting their wins mm-hmm. um we had a couple lineup. of independence win too with miller and crutchlow now yeah i know this is insanity and, Bef- and the first before thing before before the summer break we had gone nearly a decade without an independent winner we've had two in the last three rounds that's insanity <laughs> the and like it's crazy for, for crutchlow's race is is just even more ridiculous in that respect because guys started 10th Kept as low as 15th. There was one point where he was running wide off the track. He was throwing his hands in the air. It looked like it was like, oh, well, this is another unfortunate Crutchlow race. But this was like a throwback to the Tech 3 years of around 2012, I think 2013, mm-hmm. where he was regularly the best independent out there. And he was up there not far off the pace of the big three. Mm-hmm. So this just remarkable. And, you know, you, you think 35 years, surely we've had someone win since then. Well, really, Britain has moved towards being more of a superbike nation. We've got Absolutely. British superbikes as the National Motorcycling Series. Spain have got like the CEV series, things like that. But we've produced more superbike stars in that time. James Toslin, Carl Fogarty, obviously, at the moment, we've got Jonathan Ray, Tom Sykes, Chaz Davis, all these strong names over there. But Grand Prix racing has not been our forte for that long. And Indeed. it was kind of nice that it fell to Crutchlow, who's been a little bit of an unsung hero in the series for a long time. He's a big personality. He's a bold character. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, sometimes divisive, but it, what I a like nice the guy. Record. Yeah, so do I. Mm. I know some people don't. Dre, I still, I still can't forgive him for him trying to put Tommy Brywell on blast in BSB for basically ripping him for a celebration that he didn't know anything about. Um, I, yeah, that wasn't great. I, I was joking more about Bex actually. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, yeah, Bex. That's a fun one. But basically, to to, to cut a long story short, well briefly explain it um bridewell was talking about a q a in 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 his celebrations you know and he basically Carl crutchlow didn't like it he complained about it on twitter saying he should get his own celebration riding off the pegs and the fact he has the number 46 in bsb in tribute to his hero valentino rossi he said he should go out and be go out and be your own man basically and basically said you're copying him to which people don't know tommy bridewell does that riding over the peg celebration in tribute to his tragically dead brother um so crutchlow basically put the put the man on blast with no real context behind it and that's why i've never really looked at crutchlow in the same way since i do completely agree with what with what 
um, what RJ and, and, and Johnson say in the sense of he is a divisive character, but there is a lot to like about Cal Crutchlow. I'm not denying that for a minute. He is a proper character in a field that kind of lacks them. But UGP hasn't got that many vibrant personalities out there. Cal is a proper rider's rider, and he is very honest. He, he, he speaks his mind. He's a bit of a joker. I've loved what he's done lately. I know he finished second in the Saxon ring earlier before the break, and he the first thing he does when he gets to Park Fermi is he gets off and he calls his wife. Um, like, <laughs> you can see him on the phone, literally in Park Ferme, saying, babe, babe, put the TV on, put the TV on. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really funny. And obviously, you know, he's had... He's, um, his 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 um fiance Lucy is um just given birth to um to their to their new daughter Willow so congratulations to the family. Um, yes. Like like Cal said like Cal said in, in after the race he even said it he said like it, it it doesn't quite feel the same now because I've had a child. <laughs> so it was like him winning the race like wasn't as cool as him becoming a dad which is really cute actually. Um, but overall another incredible moment for this series and in. Johnson's absolutely right when he says this series has kind of got a bad reputation for repeat winners, and it's been the same three or four for for like basically five years ago. It was Stoner in Marquez's position, where Stoner was like the outside guy, but when Stoner hung it up, Marquez became that guy. Where you know you just see it's the same four winners, um, and Jack Miller broke up that trend of Marquez. Uh, Marquez, Pedrosa, Lorenzo, and Rossi winning all the races. I think like the last time we had three new winners in a Grand Prix before Miller came along was I think it was Cota twenty thirteen, which was Marquez's very first victory alongside Nico Tirol and Alex Wins. So it says a lot about the series that you know all of a sudden out of nowhere we've had six different winners in the last six rounds. By the way, as well as three first time winners in the last four, which is just great for the series. You know, the series needs more of this, absolutely, without question. And like people have said to me before, like, Dre, oh, MotoGP is really predictable. It is. You know, I, I can't deny this with people. Like, if, you, if you're not on a factory Honda or a factory Yamaha, you're probably not going to win. Um, so, overall, a great, great moment for the series. Um, quick rundown, Valentino Rossi finishing in second. And Mark Marquez, another very mature and disciplined ride from him again. It's, it's almost boring saying this now because he's just come along such a long way this year. But he was on the soft tyre as well. Um, and despite that, he still finished in third, comfortably ahead of, of, of the other guys there. And again, he was on the wrong tyres. And Marquez admitted himself for the first time, oh, I got the strategy wrong. <laughs> Normally, he's so good in these scenarios. It's what, it's what makes it kind of kind of crazy in that sense. But uh, um, also, we've got to give a shout out to the Avincia team. Fourth and fifth for Loris Baz and Hector Barbara. That is a tremendous... What on earth? Yo! Yeah, um, Hector Barbara was on the soft tyres, but Loris Baz had a hard rear, which helped him shoot up the field in the second half of the race. But the Avintia, like the basically the fourth tier Ducati team in the field, had a fourth and fifth finish. So like their best ever result as a team. Um, they, they were breaking out the champagne in the Avintia garage after the race, and rightly so. Loris Baz was literally carrying carrying um, Hector Barbara outside like he was like like they'd just been married like he's carrying his wife up the stairs <laughs> I think this is not hard to do considering like Laurie Spaz is what like 7 foot 8 or something <laughs> exactly in MotoGP terms <laughs> he is enormous in Mo- he's a giant in MotoGP guys like the Shaquille O'Neal of MotoGP yeah, basically yeah so, yeah, so Vincia well done to them a, tr- a tremendous finish and 
Eugene Laverty is at it again. Sixth place for the Irishman. Okay. He's, had a, he's having an absolutely tremendous season. Yes, for the it's going par- to parlay into a really big MotoGP. Oh. Oh. <laughs> because he, sa- he signed in World Superbikes for 2017. Yep, that, that, yep, that news came through. It was already on the cards when they signed Alvaro Bautista for next year, but that was confirmed. Eugene Laverty is going to the Aprilia team, um, probably for Milwaukee, uh, who's going to be probably running the factory Aprilias next year in World Superbikes. And basically, Laverty said he wants to win again. And he, he basically he was campaigning hard for better machinery at Aspar, Ducati went willing to give it. Basically, the, the deal is is that... Pardon me one second. Pardon me. Better get better win there. <laughs> that's just a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> but um, what happened was basically, Ducati are going to have their GP17 for next year. They're going to have that on their factory team, obviously. The Pramax will get that same bike as well, so Petrucci and Redding will get that bike, more than likely. Um, they're giving one GP16 and one GP15 to the Avintia team and the Aspar team. And they've confirmed that Bautista will be getting the 16 bike at Aspar next year, which would would put Laverty on the 15. So Laverty was not happy about that. Apparently he was campaigning really, really hard to try and get a second um, GP16 on the team, but Ducati literally apparently couldn't afford to. So Laverty made the decision to jump back over the worlds. Johnson, I guess it's the old do you want to be the big fish in a small pond argument here, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, the the history and the record for guys jumping from World Superbikes to MotoGP hasn't been good lately, has it? I mean, look at Loris Baz, um, a former world champion in Superbikes. And a lot of guys as well have struggled coming across the Grand Prix racing. You just feel like uh, for a lot of these guys, hey, they've got more of a shot of, of doing great things in superbikes. And it ultimately helps your career if you're up front in a smaller series. We see this in like GP2 and GP3. If you're at the front in a feeder series, your career is seemingly on a higher trajectory than if you're at the back in F1. Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, that's been the case with the ladder system in MotoGP as well. It's why we saw guys like Miller do the double jump in the first place, I think. But Laverty, Aspar have got such a small amount of money. They've got terrible resources. And they have to kind of keep Yoni Hernandez around because they want the, the, the sponsor money that comes with a South American rider, something that Dorna really wants to have. So... Naturally, Laverty was always kind of was always going to kind of lose out on this one, but uh, you know it's a shame for him. But I think Laverty's I think he's done the right thing here. I think the Aspar team is never going to go anywhere fast in MotoGP. Go back to being the big fish in worlds, which by the way seems seems to be putting together a hell of a roster for next year. Ooh. Probably their best lineup in about 10, 15 years, I'd argue. Um, further on down the field, real quick. Dilo Petrucci in seventh, good job from him. It's a shame that the tyres were completely delaminated on him towards the end of that race, as as was oh, Ian Oh, boy, Iannone's tyres. Um, oh. Everybody's seen the photo. Like, I didn't know tyres could come apart in blocks like that. Yeah, like chunks, literal chunks <laughs> of the middle of the front tyre was gone. Pirelli basically apparently, this is a little side note, but Pirelli apparently told Marquez, don't run the soft tyre. Like, they were going to run it, and like Pirelli was begging Marquez not to run it, saying it's borderline dangerous. Marquez's logic was the track will dry out. We won't need them for the full distance. Turns out it didn't, and that's what happened. And Ian Oni completely shredded his front tire. Like there is literal like 
it's like someone's taken a tusk and they've just chopped the middle part of the tire off the front of the bike it's if you haven't seen it google the pictures it's it's crazy and it makes you think he did what 20 odd laps with that <laughs> it's it's unbelievable like, Ianoni is literally a hero for bringing that thing home in one piece quite frankly in eighth place Gigi finished just ahead of uh, Maverick Vinales in a drag race over the line in eighth and ninth and Tito Rabat in rounding off the top 10 in 10th no um also got to mention as well Jorge Lorenzo Andrea De Vizioso moments of petulance 101 here <laughs> where basically um, Dovi had basically his tire had delaminated on lap 15, so his his front tire had completely like fallen apart. He had to go through the pits. They tried the intermediate tire; it wasn't dry enough for intermediates. He basically just parked the bike at the end and gave up. Like like we often hype of, of Dovi as being like the model pro in GP and it just didn't happen in this case. He had a full complete moment of petulance. Lorenzo came back out. He, he, he did the same thing tried inters didn't work tried slicks the slicks actually made him faster towards the end of the race so he was just there just chilling with Crutchlow at the end of the Grand Prix which is just kind of weird it was, it was like like RJ, you remember like the German Grand Prix in 2012 where Hamilton's like a lap down and he just, he just decides to fuck with everybody right <laughs> I, I think I remember that one yeah, it's like Hamilton had, I think, had a puncher on the start. He was a lap down, but he was right in the path of Button. And basically, it's like, well, Hamilton's the fastest man on track. So you're just going to have Hamilton mess with the guys behind him as Button goes for the win. It was it was very funny. It was, like, it was just kind of weird to see Lorenzo's bike being there a lap down. But again, another zero pointer for Jorge Lorenzo. And that's actually now brought Rossi into second place in the overall championship. But... In all the carnage, Mark Marquez now has a 53-point lead in the championship with seven rounds to go. Yeah, it's not looking good for Yamaha here. And then they're probably, you know, the fingers as well, Johnson, they're probably going to fight with each other now for this, for this second spot. So they're going to take points off each other? Probably, because there's only six points between Rossi and Lorenzo. They're going to fight it out between themselves. And here because... Lorenzo's going away to another net team next year. Oh, boy. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> Lorenzo's basically been frozen out from his own team, apparently. He's not going to get any more testing time with next year's bike. He's not allowed to test next year's bike. He uh, has broken Jorge Lorenzo. Yes. He's, Lorenzo. Going to, he's going to fight Valentino Rossi on a dilapidated boat. <laughs> <laughs> By the near Rossi. Oh, geez. he's going to delete him from existence. Um <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm here all week. Um, but yeah, look at Marquez, 53 points in front. Like, uh, it's, just, it's, it's, it's crazy that despite all the unpredictable carnage, Marquez remains the one constant in a very unpredictable field. Who wouldn't? Who knew it? Uh, let, me, let me quickly get through Moto2. <laughs> you know what happened, RJ? We had another one of those moments, didn't we? <laughs> oh, yes. The best part of waking up is Folger's taking the cup as your winner. <laughs> it's 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 a very Jonas Volga thing to do. It's like it's that's what happens with Jonas Volga, right? It's like he he could be very mediocre a lot of the time, but he'll just come out of nowhere and randomly win a Grand Prix. To be fair, he was very strong at his home Grand Prix in Germany when um we very nearly won that race, but Zarco beat him out of the final corner in that uh, drag race over the line. But he dominated in Germany, won by five seconds in the end. 
Bottom, bottom meet over Alex Rins and Sam Lowe's second and third. Johan Zarko really struggled in this one. Like he, he started from pole in the dry, but again, was, was, wasn't was equipped to prepare with the wet, which again was kind of weird given the fact that he was so good at in Germany just a month ago. And in Bruno, similar conditions, very mediocre indeed. Very weird indeed on that one. But uh, it was not that great at Grand Prix. The whole field was kind of spread out, really. So there wasn't an awful lot of action going on. But it was just who could make the most of the rain. And in this case, it was blatantly here. Um, <laughs> um, Johnson, what are you messaging me about now? <laughs> uh, I Basically, where Zencaster is just falling apart around our ears i wasn't sure if you could see the chat yeah so can you push it on a bit yeah yeah i uh, trust me i'm trying okay cut, <laughs> cut, cut that bit out <laughs> but i'm trying here okay but um you actually, no, actually no leave it in and then put it it's put it to like dance music <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it wasn't that great a race it was, it was another kind of moto 2 kind of ball fest really but volga was dominant ahead of alex rins and sam lowes Matteo Pasini in fourth ahead of alex marquez another good result for him in fifth place ahead of a feast siren in sixth danny kent Hooray! Danny Kent scores some points in seventh. Ed of Frankie Morbidelli in eighth. Miguel Oliveira is the apart teammate in ninth. And shout out to the rain god himself, Anthony West, who was filling in um, in the Montez Bros racing team there. He was on a two-year-old Suter chassis um, in the wet, starting from the back, finished in tenth. Anthony West is just a god in the wet. He is just so, so good. I do not understand how he does it, but he is just so freaking good in the rain indeed. Um, <laughs> also, I've got to mention Moto3 real quick here. Like, Johnson, <laughs> what was it like being Keith Ewing in the commentary with his John McPhee took his first ever Moto3 win? Uh, I don't know, but it sounded um, like a struggle. <laughs> in, 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 in what sense? <laughs> Well, I don't think I've ever heard someone get quite so excited over somebody driving around a track with four laps to go. I mean, Julian Ryder was even worse. Literally, I don't think I've ever heard someone... I've never seen a rider go into a corner on a wet track and heard the commentator actually go, Oh... <laughs> Johnson, and we're not fucking with you, folks. Johnson, you sounded like you do that quite often like does seem very natural for you <laughs> well you know insert your own jokes here insert your own jokes here uh, i'm just re-watching the gif of mcphee's slide out of turn 12 yes. where he does the where he just bucks it like a like a rodeo bull and i haven't stopped watching this gif and i think <laughs> this is like all the footage from the race that have actually ingested with my own eyeballs and it's still just captivating i'm just yeah. I, I think i'll just keep watching this for a bit yeah, it's it's. it's I, I can see, isn't it? I can see why it's like it's almost it's almost relaxing watching this gif at the same time. It's like it's <laughs> it's the best save, like or like it's the second best save that because Mark has had a crazy one in practice that he managed to save when the bike was bloody going sideways already. But that McPhee with that save, I think with about three laps to go, I think the entire Saxo Print Peugeot team like collectively had a heart attack watching that like oh god no like mcphee is like eight seconds down the road at this point from anybody else because binder has crashed it from the lead and powie who was leading the chase behind him the rain god or the former rain god as i like to call him he crashed out from third so mcphee was basically in no man's land at this point so they're, like, they're telling him slow down john you're too fast 
It was a ridiculous race, and Keith Ewan literally, and Junior Ryan literally crossed the point of orgasm in the middle of that recording. Um, it was absolutely ridiculous, but um, congrats to John McPhee. It was a genuinely brilliant performance on his end. Um, a well-deserved win, a great win. Peugeot's technically first win in Moto3, even though they're basically a Mahindra in drag. Uh, ahead of Jorge Martin in second place for Mahindra, and Fabio Giancinino with another brilliant rookie performance in third. Another podium for the young I think he's only 17 years old that Italian he's incredible um, ahead of Enna Bastianini in 4th Nicola Antonelli in 5th Jakob Kornfile 6th um, Bo Benschneider in 7th one for King there for the Red Bull KTM boys uh, Joao Mir in 8th Bulega 9th and Jorge Navarro 10th shout Edward, out to Edward Manofanati from the couch <laughs> from the couch <laughs> Very much so. As it turns out, he has actually completely lost his job now as Lorenzo Della Porta will be filling in for the rest of the season. And Becca Bagnaia will be taking the Moto2 seat that Fanati was going to eventually have. It's funny how the whole thing just turns out in the end, isn't it? Brutal. <laughs> Brutal, but that's what you get for being very angry with your staff and maybe punching them out. Who knows? So that's just about everything for MotoGP. Just want to mention as well a couple of bit of nasty injury news. Alex Rins has done his collarbone in. Um, in a, I think it was a dirt bike accident, but apparently, um, he's had his surgery on it already, and he may still be able to ride in Silverstone this weekend, which is just ridiculous. Like Alex Rins is probably just not fuming at this point. <laughs> um, how he's able to recover from a broken collarbone so quickly. Like 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 what Lorenzo did in Aston a few years ago that was just kind of mental in that regard. Um and also Bradley Smith. Um it was a, it was a fear it was feared he broke his leg as he was filling in for the Yamaha World Endurance team um in I think it was Osterslagen this weekend for their eight hour race. Um Bradley had a big crash in free practice. It, it was suspected he may have broken his leg, but Bradley grabbed his phone in the middle of the hospital wing and said, don't worry, there's nothing broken. It might just be a, a bit of other leg damage and whatnot. He's saying he, he's still got a chance. He'll be healthy for Silverstone next weekend. So speedy recoveries to both Alex Ray and Bradley Smith, Bradley Smith where that's concerned. Oh boy. Let's move on to a little bit of Formula 1 news before we wrap this up this time around. And... Uh, Johnson, I know you want to go off on this one a little bit, but uh, whew, the halo will not die. Um, it looks like Nico Hulkenberg for Force India and Nico Rosberg for Mercedes will be testing out versions of the halo in Spa's free practice one tomorrow. Uh, Man, Microsoft is really trying to milk this sacred cow, aren't they? <laughs> They've rebooted the series already. They're installing Cortana everywhere. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> like, at this point in time, the Halo is like Jason Voorhees. <laughs> it just it just won't go away. And, yeah. like, it just... Uh, we've talked about this so much before, Dre. How is it that after they've done six years or so of research on uh, cockpit protection and that, that how they've treated the Halo and how they've talked about it publicly and how they've tested it and everything... It still feels like a rush job, and it still doesn't inspire much confidence. They're just going to randomly hodgepodge cars. They should be running this Halo a lot more if they're planning to run it in 2018. Like, not just like one sighting lap with the with the car, you know, with one guy's views, and you know, just you take it off after one lap, and oh, it's business as usual again. Okay, we're going to get rid of it and let's move on. It just it doesn't feel quite right, Johnson. You see what I'm getting at with this? Yeah, absolutely. And like we've we've seen the aero screen, which appears to be the slightly better solution overall. It's the one that people seem to prefer. Mm -hmm. 
this is tricky now. It really does feel like the FIA pushing hard. It's just like, no, we have to have the Halo in some way because we have to do something. We talked about this with King before the show, before his laptop exploded. Um, we talked about this before the show. The problem they have now is that it's a case of the genie's out of the bottle. They can't put it back. They've opened the topic of cockpit protection and head protection. Yeah. And now if they put the Halo to bed and say, well, we're going to hold off and we're going to test it a bit more behind closed doors, people are going to go, well, that's a cop-out. Yeah. You said you were going to have something for us by next year, potentially. So where is it? Like, so It's, it's yeah. almost like the strategy group meeting they had at Hockenheim was like, okay, we've got to push this back a year because there's no way we're anywhere near ready to make this a full-time thing. And I'm still not entirely convinced this thing's even going to be implemented for 2018 yet um they still haven't finalized the design yet they still haven't properly tested their own individual versions of it it's it's a little bit all over the place right now and it's it's like like the strategy group meeting said right we've got to have some form of protection in 2018 and they said the halo still remained a strong option like what does that even mean at this point um it means it means nothing, and quite frankly, I think Formula One, I think a lot of open cockpit single seater series are running out of time in general. We're just coming off, we're just coming off the one year anniversary of Justin Wilson's death, and on the one year anniversary, we nearly had a catastrophic situation in the pit lane with Alexander Rossi's car literally climbing over the top of Elio Castro Neves's, <laughs> and his the entire his back tire and the entire left-hand side pod nearly decapitate another driver in pit lane we're we're running out of time for these for some sort of solutions uh to try and close the cockpits but we need to get to that point these things need to be tested better and and in a more practical way i'm just, i'm entirely sorry if i'm not putting my thoughts together in the right way but i'm just I, I have to wonder you know at what point is the point where we actually decide to go ahead and get serious about cockpit protection for these drivers is it going to take the, the loss of the of another driver i certainly hope not I'd, i i hope not i mean we've seen many accidents i mean i remember Brighton and alonso in austria a couple i think that was 2015 where again like Raikkonen's car is on top of alonso's i mean we saw the grosjean accident from belgium we've seen we mean we've seen we saw maria di velota eventually lose her life and, and certainly at the time directly lost her eye as a result of a very similar incident where you know she was crushed by a team truck so it's i i think it's getting to a point where you can no longer call it a freak accident because these things just keep coming up now like it's almost one a year at this point maybe more and Again, like Ted Kravitz said on, on, on during the German coverage, it's like once you've taken the lid off the genie, you can't put him back in. And like now we've like we've reached a point of no return. We've got like it's too far it's too far gone for it not to happen now. Like the FIA is committed to this plan and they they've now got to execute it, but their execution is just simply so sloppy at this point. Mm. That's um, that's the problem, isn't it? it, 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 it like, none impression. of their announcements have given us any confidence. No. no, that they kind of know what they're doing for the best. You know what I mean? It's not like they're going, well, we know what we're doing here. We're going to test the halo. We're going to go away. We're going to analyze the results. We're going to test the aero screen, and then we're going to make a considered decision. Because why the can't thing is, wait, such a so why can't the FA have a designated testing session for these halos with, with all the teams running it? 
Exactly. Because that would require an agreement from the strategy group. It would require agreement from all this other <laughs> crap. It's 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 a mess. And if you know FI, one thing, FI's leadership is a mess. Want to agree on something? Yeah, and as we and as we've said before, it's kind of back again. The strategy group can't agree on anything, and as we've discussed on earlier episodes of the, of the podcast before, the drivers are not in unison agreement for this. Like we've had, mm-hmm. we've seen people like Vettel say, "Well, I don't particularly like it, but it's it it will say if it saves one person's life, it's worth it." Quite frankly, and you know he's he's willing to stomach it. I mean, Hamilton was originally super against it. He's I think he's been fed a couple of PR lines to say, "Okay, maybe it's not quite so bad." Hulkenberg came out very strongly against it, saying it, saying that you know F one needs an element of danger about it, which is nice and all until you're carrying a man's coffin, like we saw with Jules Bianchi. But uh, you know, etc. But it's it's a, it's a difficult situation in, in the slightest, and it, there's a million different loopholes here. There's a diff, there's a million different factors that are at, that are at work and are at play here, and I can just I for one can only just hope that the FIA knuckles down and really gets really accelerates this process because I don't want to I know we said we don't want them to rush it, but I need to see more of this Halo right now because. We are less than two years away from this being mandatory in Formula One, and it doesn't look or feel like it's a mandatory thing at all right now. Exactly. They've, they've put the pressure on. They've put the time frame on. Uh, you know, they've, they've made the big statement about how there's going to be cockpit protection in F1 by 2017, 2018 latest, and you're like, okay then. So why are you kind of dancing around the issue and not really being very certain about how that's going to go? Mm-hmm. That doesn't inspire anyone with confidence. As we've said before, the fact is, behind the scenes, the FIA have been researching cockpit protection for six years odd now. Yeah. Since so how come it still feels like a rush? So how come it still feels like a rush job? Because the execution has been so sloppy. It has been. Yeah, it's been so sloppy. We've we've seen inconsequential, meaningless exhibitions of this Halo since since its inception, and we don't we don't know a final design. We don't know. We saw Red Bull try something completely different with the aero screen idea later on in the season. We, like like, there's no direction with this. There's no plan. There's no there's no like again direction where this is going forward right now and that's what frustrates me most about this halo going forward i mean if we're gonna have it make sure it's done properly if not why are we even bothering talking about this and i i've on the record i have no problem with this halo being a thing eventually and i'm firmly in the camp of okay this is not this is we're beyond freak accident stage of these things now because again this IndyCar race at pocono kind of summed that up where we could we could have very easily seen another death at pocono in like two in two years and that would have been just absolutely horrific and i don't know how people can be so adamantly against this at this point in time but the way the FIA is going about this right now, it's certainly not helping that argument, and that's part of the problem here. Drop but, your pretenses, knuckle down, find a solution before somebody else gets seriously hurt. It's not even that at this point. It's a case of you've made this pledge, you've made this promise, you've made this big stand. Let's back it up. Yeah, follow it through. It's, it's as simple yep, as absolutely. that. But we also... We also have the Belgian weekend and her weekend and hooray, the F1 calendar is back. I mean, RJ, if you want to explain your reasons to still be excited about this season at this point, I'd love to hear them because, boy, I'm struggling right now. (laughs) Well, well, we can start in the immediate long term because Lewis Hamilton won't be starting from the front row. He's taking uh, several grid spots worth of penalties because he's getting some new engine bits. 
I'm surprised how many how many pieces of uh, powertrain he's gone through this season as he's gone on an absolute hot streak. Yes, this weekend. Yeah, goodness. So that puts uh, that puts uh, Nico Rosberg obviously squarely in the position to uh, fight back and win another race to get his momentum back on track. You can obviously count in this, the the best of the rest between Scuderia, Ferrari, but maybe possibly uh, cashing in on their potential, maybe, um, and Red Bull Racing particularly doing well around spa especially with their with their soda hometown boy mats verstappen born in belgium uh born uh raised in the netherlands and coming back home sort of because there's no zandvoort race Indeed. Also, we also have the debut of esteban ocon for manor which means uh, that's, a you, that's a you problem rj that's a you problem <laughs> yes <laughs> manor effectively now the mercedes amg junior team and uh, because Harriana is out of money, um, Force India still looking good for a second straight top five finish in the World Constructors Championship. More further proof to never count out Force India out of anything ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there, there, there are some good things to look forward to this season. Uh, it's just that following through on it. If you're not a Lewis Hamilton fan, it's going to be crushing. Maybe if you are, it's going to be kind of crushing seeing him win like this again. Unless you're one of those people that's just like not a fan of Nico Rosberg. Which, Which is, is a lot unfortunately people. in the cult of Hamilton quite a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So guys, who's excited for Spa this weekend? Yeah. Uh, I might insert like a sound of a like one of the party poppers going off. <laughs> yeah, like 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 the whoopee cushion sound in the background there. Yeah, but hey, who knows? We may get a good Grand Prix to talk about on next week's episode. Then again, whenever we've been cynical about an upcoming Grand Prix, mm. it's often blown us away. So yeah, this weekend's going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be so bad. The DRS down the Kemmel Strait is going to be so overpowered. I'm actually not joking about that one. It's no. freaking stupid to have it there. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand that. Ever at all, that at all. I think it's terrible. I think it's terrible. But hey, that's a thing. But, uh, you know, it's Spa. It's an old school track on the calendar. I'm sure we'll get some sort of out of it before Sky F1 pushes another thousand Hamilton narratives down our throat. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. But um, yeah, Belgian Grand Prix this weekend. Let's hope it's something above a 4 out of 10. That's just about it for this episode. We'll talk F1 2016 on the next episode next week because we'll get a little bit more time of it before we really talk about it at length. But uh, And also because we've run kind of, well, longer than I would have hoped because we've had so many technical problems, goddammit. But we just Seriously, about... you don't understand how close this show came to not existing. <laughs> yeah, so I will take this every time and run it away before my computer inevitably explodes or something. Um, RJ, tell the good people where I'm they can find you. Computer and all this. Says, RJ, I am, tell I am on... I am on Twitter um, shitposting and just generally mucking about in the internet at RJ O'Connell and covering the Super GT series at Super GT World, which we have the 1,000 kilometer race coming up this uh, this Sunday, August 28th. You're probably listening and it's probably done. I hope you enjoyed the race by the time you're listening to this. I know it was good. Oh, I'm ready for that. Yep, that should be great. If you uh, want to see another series where Honda is constantly on Struggle Street, if Formula One and IndyCar and MotoGP were not doing it for you. <laughs> <laughs> if you're that much of a masochist. Hey, there's always British touring cars. 
Shut up, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know where he can find the rest of us. Me at, on Twitter at Harrison101HD and Adam on Twitter at AJ underscore Bombersports. We are on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We will have our own a special Twitter for the podcast coming up soon. We would have had it probably up this week by now, but again, King's Laptop exploded midweek. Kind of a problem. So we're all kind of just playing catch up at this point. But we, we will get there, I promise. Um, in the meantime, we're back again next week. I hope you guys enjoyed this hodgepodge of an episode. Um, and I hope you guys very much enjoyed it. And I've been Andre Harrison. He's been RJ O'Connell and Adam Johnson. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. And I'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Quick, now let's back away here. before it explodes. Bye. Bye.